Shalom. This is Gary Durashinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. If you have your Bibles, look at Ezra chapter chapter 3. I've been reading in Ezra during my devotions. And a number of things struck me about this passage that I thought I'd share with you as we launch out into the new year. Uh, like Edward, I'm not a big... R- a New Year's resolution kind of guy. You know that commercial where uh, the individual is asking about what is your New Year, what do you expect for the New Year, and the young fellow says, I'm going to make a New Year's revolution, you know. And uh, But uh, New Year's resolution. I'm not a resolution kind of guy because basically within a week I've broken them, you know. But nevertheless, this is a good time to think about the count up during the year of what the Lord would have us to do. And Ezra uh, came to my attention, or the points here made in Ezra struck me as I've been reading from my own devotions. In chapter 3, it says, When the seventh month came, and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled as one man in Jerusalem. Then Yeshua, son of Yosadak and his fellow priests and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel and his associates, began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundations. They sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. Then in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day and that they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred feasts of the Lord, as well as those brought as freewill offerings to the Lord. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. Then they gave money to the masons and carpenters and gave food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa as authorized by Cyrus, king of Persia. In the second month of the second year after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Yeshua, son of Josedek, and the rest of the brothers, the priests and the Levites, and all who had returned from the captivity to Jerusalem, began the work, appointing Levites, 20 years of age and older, to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. Yeshua and his sons and brothers, and Cadmi and his sons, descendants of Hodaviah, and the sons of Henadad and their sons and brothers, all Levites, joined together in supervising those working on the house of God. 
And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their place to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love to Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. And no one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. This is a very interesting section of scripture because this takes place uh, around 500, 400 and change when the uh, Persians permitted the Israelites, the Jewish people, to return from their captivity. Now the Jewish people were in captive in Babylon for 70 years. And now Cyrus comes on the scene and he permits the Jewish people to return to their homeland. What oftentimes is missed is Cyrus not only permitted the Jewish people to return from Babylon to their homeland in Israel, but he also permitted those Jews that were taken away captive a hundred years before by the Assyrians to return as well. So Jewish people who were willing, not all did, but were willing to come from Babylon and Assyria and to wherever else they were scattered, Cyrus, the king of Persia, permits the Jewish people to return to their homeland. As they return, they are confronted with a number of challenges. They're confronted with a land that has not been cared for for over 70 years. They're confronted by their capital city, Jerusalem, with the walls torn down. They are confronted by a temple that no longer exists. It was torn down by Nebuchadnezzar. And no longer do they have the economic stability that they were experiencing in Babylon or Assyria or to wherever they had been scattered. They were willing to struggle through that economic demise in order to come back to the land that the Lord had given to them. And on top of that, there were nations surrounding the land of Israel that were unfriendly to the Jewish people. And so there was a great deal of consternation among the returnees. When you look at the early passage in chapter 3, notice what it says in verse 3. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, these people returned with a great sense of foreboding because of what they now faced, and the enemies that were around them. As we launch out into 2014, there is no doubt that we are thinking about the variety of fears and consternation and challenges that are ahead of us. For some people, it is the economic challenge that is in our world. Finding a job is a tricky thing for a lot of people, skilled people, experienced people. And we wonder, how is the Lord going to provide for us in the coming year? Some of us are faced with fears because of losses that we are and have experienced over the course of this preceding year. Some relationships have been strained and are struggling. Some of our people are not here this morning because of challenges they are facing. Jerry, for example, is off in Phoenix because his brother Richie had just passed away. 
He had flown out to Phoenix and then with his parents drove up to Las Vegas and this weekend they will be having uh, a funeral. His brother was a believer and had been instrumental in leading him to faith. A moment of reflection, a moment of great sadness, the loss of a family member. As you know, Jag had gone into the hospital. For weeks, he had been complaining about pain in his sides and in his chest, not being able to breathe well. Finally, he went into the ER. They put him in the hospital for observation, and they think, they're not certain, that he may have experienced a minor, I don't know if there's such a thing, heart attack. And now they just transferred him over to Holy Name, is that the name of it? Holy Cross over in Mission Hills, I think it is, where they will be taking those tests to determine exactly what what has transpired. And then just two days ago or so, Craig Curtis had fallen in his bathroom. Don't know what he had hit, but as a result, he had bleeding on the brain, 911. They took him to the hospital. And uh, the neurosurgeons are with regard to the tests, are finding that uh, the blood does not seem to continue to be bleeding. They're watching him, and he may not need surgery for that purpose. And the neurosurgeons don't think that he's going to need such surgery. However, on the side of his head, he had crushed some of the bones around the eye socket. He's going to need some plastic surgery to take care of that. Well, no one anticipated these kinds of things. And consternation, fear, sets in. Like the people of Israel who had to face all kinds of challenges as they came into their land wondering what they would do. Would God provide how they might endure? But what I find interesting, despite their fears, it says in verse 3, they were resolved to fulfill what God had called them to do. Despite their fears, they build an altar. There's no temple yet. There's no foundation laid, but they build an altar. And they know God has called them to worship him. And by this point in history, they were to worship God in a very particular prescribed manner. On Shabbat, certain offerings were to be offered. On a variety of festivals like the Feast of Tabernacles, a number of offerings had to be offered. And despite the surrounding enemies, here they were building their offering, building their altars. Despite the economic duress, here they are giving of their substance in order to build this altar and later lay the foundation. And in the midst of their enemies, they're worshiping God, they're sacrificing the, the sacrifices, and they're lifting their hearts to the Lord. In other words, they were resolved to get on with the Lord's business despite their fears, despite their struggles, despite their hardships. Now, in response to that, they do lay the foundation for the temple. The walls aren't even up. They've just dug down deep in order to lay a foundation upon which stones would be built to build the temple. It's only two years after their return from the captivity in Babylon. So their first order of business was to do the will of God and the work of God in the establishing of a place in which God would be worshipped and venerated and lifted up. The reaction is very telling as well. The older priests 
looked at what was being built. The older individuals that had been there when Solomon's temple and all of its glory had stood, looked at what was going on and they wept and they cried. Because it did not look quite like what Solomon had before them. It was much smaller and it was much less, I don't know if you can say the word significant, because in the worship of God, wherever we worship, it is a significant place. But it no longer had the splendor and the majesty of what Solomon's structure had built. When we, I think of Beth Ariel, a ministry that's been here some 30 years, there are people who are older to this ministry. They look back on those 30 years, and maybe some of them think, you know, when Marty Getz was our worship leader, oh my goodness, you can't imagine what that worship must have been like. I bet it was unbelievable. He was a young man, younger man, I should say, young man, younger man at that time. And so he's become a much more proficient piano player and worship leader, perhaps in his latter days. But nevertheless, I can imagine thinking back and saying, if only we had a Marty Getz again. Or some may be thinking back to the days when John Tesh was the worship leader here. And we might think, John Tesh, that guy can play. I mean, he could play guitar really well. He could play piano. And here he was leading the worship at Beth Ariel. And we could think back and say, what must it, was, it must have been like when he was leading worship? And things may not see, quite seem like those days as they were here. And some more recent might look back and say, every week when we had Deb and Vince leading worship, some might say they are great musicians too. And now today we have us, you know, who have been leading worship, for whom we are most grateful and appreciative. But I don't know if we would register on the Richter scale of worshipfulness like what those talented individuals who I mentioned before. Those that are older at the temple, they looked at the foundation that was being laid and they said, this is nothing like what it once was. And some here might say, you know, things are not like it once was. But then it says some of the younger people who were there, younger priests, they looked at it and they were overjoyed at what they were able to accomplish. And we have some people here that are newer to Beth Ariel. Some who have just come within the last few months, weeks, maybe even days. And they look and they say, oh my goodness, this worship is out of sight. They look and they say, this is such a wonderful place to hear the word of God and a wonderful place to fellowship with one another. I just was reading this passage and I thought all of the emotions that are experienced in any body of believers at any time in history were experienced by these Jewish returnees when they came in the time of Ezra. But the thing that enabled them to accomplish God's will was what you read at the opening verses of chapter 3. It says, When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled as one man in Jerusalem. That's the reason they were able, whether they were happy with the foundation or not so happy, whether they were fearful or not, they were resolute, to accomplish God's will, encouraged by one another because they assembled as one man. 
course, one of our themes here is that we are not just one man, but we are one new man. And as one new man, we have the very presence of Messiah dwelling fully in our midst. So I wanted to share with you three thoughts, three priorities that I think can help our congregation in the course of this coming year to be like perhaps the way these Israelites were. Now they're building the temple, but in another hundred years or so, they're going to be faced with rebuilding the walls. They're constantly building, constantly having to do more and more and more. They never appear to arrive. And we will never feel like we've arrived until the Messiah returns and establishes his kingdom here on earth. We're always tweaking, always building, always transitioning, always evolving, as it were. And so here are three things, and they're very simple things I'd like to leave with you. I'd like you to consider, especially as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper, that as we do so, we might say, yes, Lord, help me to make these three priorities, priorities in my life for this coming year. I think they will be helpful to us individually, and I'm certain they will be helpful to us collectively as well. The first thing is, let us commit ourselves to seeking the Savior. Now, I know that may sound very obvious, but I couldn't help but reflect on that passage in John, I think it is, where these Hellenistic Jews or these Gentile Greeks, the term Greek is used, not sure exactly whether he refer, referring to Hellenistic Jews or whether Gentiles, doesn't really matter, but they come to the disciples and they say, we would see Yeshua. We want to see him. And every time I read that verse, I'm reminded of the variety, the number of different churches I've spoken over the years, and usually in Baptist churches. I don't know why that is, but that's how I remember it. And I climb up into their, uh, into their pulpit, and there in a plaque, a brass plaque or a metal plaque, it would say, Sir, sirs, we would see Jesus. We would see Yeshua. It was a great reminder that we come here when the word of God is to be presented or when music is presented or when testimony is being presented. We want to see Yeshua. When we come, we want to be worshiping him. When we sing, we want to be singing unto him. We want to seek our Messiah. All other things are a far distant second, whatever they might be. Our Jewish traditions are important to us because of who we are and who we want to communicate effectively with. But they take second stage to Yeshua who must be central, not only in our lives, but in our way of life. And therefore, we want to seek you, O Lord. Help us in this coming year to be seekers of the Savior. How do we seek him? Let me suggest a couple of things. Number one, we seek him in his word. We need to be in his word on a regular basis, on a daily basis, seeking to see Yeshua in his word. He's the word of God made flesh. And he's also the word of God as he is unfolded to us in the scripture as we read the word of God given to us. So we want to commit ourselves to the reading of scripture because therein we will find Messiah. Therein we will seek him. We're not just looking for, uh, f for means by which we can live our life more effectively, although that's important. We want to see him. 
and we want to follow him. When we see Messiah, we can so much more effectively do the things God has called us to do, but also endure those challenges that are set before us. We want to seek him. We seek him in his word. Secondly, we seek him in prayer. We need to spend time reflecting on God, speaking to him, but also listening to his voice. Messiah gave us a model prayer. And when we read in the Gospel of Matthew, we read of the Lord's Prayer. We say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have uh, trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's a very simple prayer. In many respects, there are two parts to it. And if we make our prayers to reflect on these two parts, we will do a world of good for ourselves. The first part is we are to talk to the Father about the Father. Our Father who art in heaven, we're speaking about his grandeur, his greatness, his omnipotence, his glory. We don't just mean he's up there and we're down here. We mean he's the glorious one. He's the majestic one. He's the living God and there is none other. Speak to the Father about the Father. When we speak to the Father about the Father, we want to speak about his person. He is the one who is greater than all things. He's the creator of all things. He's the Holy One of Israel. Hallowed be your name. We want to speak to the Father not only about His person, but we want to speak about His program, His purposes. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. That's God's program. He wants to bring His program into our world. One day He will in such a way that it will be unlike any other when Messiah returns. But for now, we are manifestations of the very presence of Messiah Himself. We are indwelt by His Spirit. We are to manifest Messiah in our lives. We're being conformed into the image of Messiah. Wherever the King reigns, there's something of His kingdom present. And therefore, we are to be ones that manifest the very program of God and bringing forth His kingdom into a world that is lost. So we want to speak to the Father about the Father. We want to speak to the Father about who He is. We want to speak to the Father about what He is doing. And we want to ask that He might make that happen through us. We want to make this year a year in which we are prioritizing seeking Yeshua. We seek the Savior by reading His Word. We seek the Savior by praying in a regular basis. The second part of that prayer is that we are not not only to speak to the Father about the Father, but we're to speak to the Father about the family. Notice how the pronouns shift. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Deliver us from evil and provide for us. Now we want to pray not just for ourselves, but for our family. And what do we want to pray for? We want to pray for God's provision. Give us this day our daily bread, what we need for today. We want to pray for God's pardon. Forgive us our debts. We want to pray for God's protection. Deliver us from evil. 
We want to seek the Savior. We seek Him in His Word. We seek Him in prayer. And as a model prayer, we look to the Lord's Prayer. Speak to the Father about the Father. Speak to the Father about the family. And we will encounter Messiah as the Lord answers our prayers and guides us and leads us forward and onward. We want to seek Yeshua above all. The second thing I would challenge us to consider is not only to seek the Savior, but to seek to serve others. That parable that I made reference to our story of the Good Samaritan ought to grip our hearts. And Martin Luther King's statement ought to reverberate in our minds when we think of it. We ought not to ask the question, as he said, what will happen to me if I stopped for him? We ought to ask the question, what will happen to him if I do not stop for him? If I do not stop, what will happen to him? And so we need to think about service. In Ephesians chapter 2, and we had looked at it some months before, and we need to complete our study of the book of Ephesians, at least the last section that speaks of spiritual warfare. But Paul says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, here's the point, created in Messiah to do good works. And so God has a good work that he wants us to do, a good service he wants us to offer unto him. So this year, while we consider Beth Ariel, while we consider our lives, we want to seek the Savior. We want to seek service. Every one of us ought to ask the question, in what way am I serving others? Some of us are serving others by being good parents in our homes. And we ought to be. Some of us are serving others by being good spouses to one another. We need to grow in that area together. What I'd like us to think about is not only what happens in our home or on the workplace or outside, but I'd like us to think, how are we serving at Beth Ariel? All of us are contributing financially. That is one way of service. But if we're going to be one man, like it says in Ezra, and if we're going to be one new man, like Paul speaks of it in Ephesians, and we're going to move forward in accomplishing the task God has for us at Beth Ariel. We need to ask ourselves, what can I do to enable Beth Ariel to function more efficiently and more effectively? It might be something like simply being here early enough to greet our new people who come in so that they are welcomed here and not just sort of wandering around wondering where is the restrooms, where are the uh, Bible classes that we have, is there something downstairs, where do I bring my kids, what do I do with uh, young people? We need greeters who are there that are ready to show them around, as it were. Many people come, and they come with great burdens. They want to see someone with a smile on their face and hand outreached, ready to embrace them and to welcome them into our fellowship. You know, it's always kind of weird, as you all know, when you go into a new church building or into a new synagogue or a new worship place. You don't really know what to expect. You don't even know if you're really dressed right. And you just wonder, what is going to happen? 
Greeters are, are the front line of enabling people to feel welcomed and at ease when they come. I just mention them as one thing, but there's all kinds of things, and they're not even official things. When we're downstairs and we have fellowship together, some linger a little longer simply to put the chairs back or to sweep up or to clean up. Some have a variety of gifts, musical gifts and talents that uh, are not being used as God might want them to be used. Some of you have great voices ready to read scripture. Some of you can sing and can learn our liturgy and lead us in worship. Sally Klein had mentioned about going over into Europe and especially in relation to reconciliation in light of the Holocaust. Come April, we'll be having our second annual March for Remembrance. Last year was our first. We're already signed up in April. I forget the date, 27 or so, is the Sunday. I think it's the Sunday when we're going to be having our marching. There's a need to help coordinate, organize. There are some of you who have some additional time to help administratively in our office with, uh, with Maria. Dolly, Linda, Beverly have been there, and others have come in and lended their help uh, to her. My point is there are a variety of things to be done here at Beth Ariel. Let us seek to serve and to invest ourselves in the ministry that is occurring here. And I could speak about a lot of things, candlelighting, our dancing, and that just encompasses Sunday, opening our homes so that we can expand our home groups. As new people come, we can meet with them on a smaller level in order to develop relationships and fellowship. We want to seek to serve Savior. We want to seek to serve. And the last thing I'd like to share with you is that we would seek to be sharers of the word. I wonder if we might pray and ask if the Lord would bring even one person into our lives this coming year that we could share Messiah with on a meaningful basis. That we would really have opportunity to meet with someone who doesn't know the Lord and might spend additional time with somehow to share our faith meaningfully and pray that the Lord would then use us to lead someone who doesn't know him to faith in him. If this year could be a year in which Messiah is so pivotal that we're seeking him like we haven't before. In the good places as well as the dark places of our lives. Because he is there as well. For he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That we would seek him through concerted effort in looking at his word, reading his word, studying his word, scrutinizing his word. That we would seek him in prayer and in reflection. I could even ask in seeking him in rest. It's not always in doing that God speaks to us, but it's oftentimes in simply sitting and reflecting and allowing him to speak to our hearts so that we might listen. If we would seek Messiah above all else. And in seeking him, we remember that he came to seek and to serve those who are lost. And thus, if we might seek to serve, where can, does the Lord, what does the Lord have for me to do? That's something you need to pray and ask God for, and then experiment in the variety of opportunities that are here. 
And then lastly, seek to share him with others. And if the Lord would just bring one person into our lives, that we would share meaningfully of his life-giving grace. So I don't want to make these a New Year resolution. Just some priorities to revisit during the course of the year and to see how God responds to our prayers when we ask him to help us in this regard. Now, if you would, let's spend a few moments in prayer as we prepare our hearts to observe the Lord's Supper. If those who are helping us to distribute the uh, juice and the bread would do so. Here at Beth Ariel, we observe the Lord's Supper the first Shabbat in the month. We've done it the third Sunday in the month in the past this year. We're trying the first Shabbat as we prepare for the rest of the month. Messiah said to do this as often as you will, to do this in remembrance of me. When he celebrated Passover, he took the bread. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. The bread that he took was unleavened bread. That re- you guys can go ahead when you're ready. Was unleavened bread. And in scripture, leaven symbolizes sin. No burnt offerings could be offered with leaven according to the Mosaic law. Yeshua said, beware of the leaven of the religious teachers of his day. The false teachings, teachings that were apart from the truth of God's word. Paul writes, do you not know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Purge out the old leaven that ye may be unleavened. For Messiah, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. And so when Messiah took the bread, it symbolized his sinlessness, the unleavened bread, the matzah. And as he broke it, it signified the death he would endure that we might have life. He did this for us. And then he took the cup. The cup, of course, was the third cup in the Passover Seder. The first cup was the Kiddush cup that separated this night from all other nights. The second cup was the cup of plagues by which we remember the ten plagues that the Lord used to deliver our people from Egypt. The last cup, the fourth cup, was the Hallel cup, the cup of praise in which praise was offered to the Lord for his great gift of salvation. But the third cup was the cup of redemption. The cup that signifies the deliverance of the Jewish people out from Egypt through the Red Sea into the wilderness to Mount Sinai where they received the law. It was the cup of redemption that Messiah raised and said, this is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the remission of sins. So when we partake of the, these elements, we're affirming that Messiah did indeed die for our sin, and we are affirming that he shed his blood like the lamb's blood on the two side doorposts and upper lintel that signaled to the angel of death to pass over those homes. And the firstborn in those homes was spared. Because of Messiah's blood sprinkled on the doorposts and up the lintels of our lives and of our hearts, the angel of death passes over us and we have passed into life everlasting. 
Now, Paul reminds us that we are not to partake of these elements in what he refers to as an unworthy manner. None of us is worthy of the grace of God. That's why it is the grace of God. We're not worthy of it. It is God's gift to us. So when Paul speaks of doing this in a worthy manner, he means doing it in a way in which we acknowledge the truths that I just shared as true for us. That Messiah has indeed come, that he has been broken and shed his blood for our need, and that by faith in him we have life everlasting. And so with the cup in your hands and with the matzah in your hands, I would simply ask that you reflect upon his glorious grace of forgiveness and that you might pray, Lord, help me in this coming year to be a seeker of Messiah in all of my circumstances. Help me to do this by reading your word regularly, by praying to you and listening to your voice, by resting in such a way that the cares and concerns of the world might recede somewhat into the background, that it would not shout out above your voice, which sometimes is still and small. Father, may, as we hold these elements in our hands and prepare to take them, might you help us as we seek to serve you, as we seek to honor you, as we seek to serve one another in the world around us, in our homes in which we live and reside, and among our congregants, as well. And the Lord, then, Lord, help us to seek to share. May we just be moved by the need that our world has. In this world, Messiah said, we will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have, he has, overcome the world. Help us, Father, to help others experience your overcoming of the world for them. And so help us to share life that they might have it more abundantly. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers. And if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L.org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.